I looked, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, "Who is worthy to break the seals, and open the scroll?" But no one in heaven, or on earth, or under the earth, could open the scroll. Or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals." Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, and they sang a new song, saying, "You are worthy to take the scroll." And to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and heard the voice of millions of angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise." And I heard every creature in heaven. And on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, "To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power, for ever and ever." Good morning, church. Man, what an exciting time to be together this morning as we've come together as a people of God in this location to lift Jesus Christ on high, to praise His name, to dig into the Word of God and discover what the blueprint is for our life, how we're called to live in Jesus Christ. And just being together this morning is such an encouragement as we lift His name on high and know that Jesus Christ does indeed make all things new. We want to say a welcome to our guests that are here this morning. Thanks for joining us, and、uh, of course, our hope is that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst this morning. That it's been a welcoming experience. You've felt the Holy Spirit in this place. Uh, but also, if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to think about joining us and telling that message of hope that is Jesus Christ. 
to use your particular gift set to come alongside us in ministry, whether it's right here in the metro or around the world, to really spread that message of hope that is Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family right here. Well, I'm very excited for a couple of reasons today. One, Luke is with us. This is his first Sunday here, Luke and Serena. So glad to have you guys part of ministry. And the kids as well, what a joy it is to have you guys with us, and we look forward to many months and years of ministry together in this place. So glad God called you here, and you listened to that, and listened to us talking to you, and you coming. That was an exciting thing too. But also exciting this morning is the beginning of our new series called Reveal, as we begin a study of Revelation over the next six or seven weeks. Uh, It's been a lot of fun studying for this series, and just getting ready for it. And I know that some of us are a little leery about Revelation, we keep that at arm's length, so to speak. But I want you to know that uh, we're, we're going to do a great job of moving through this book. It's only six or seven weeks we're going to spend in it, although there are 22 chapters. So you can tell we're going to take some chunks out of this book and really talk about what that's calling us to as we live out the life God's called us to live uh, in the culture in which we find ourselves and who Jesus really is in that process. It's going to be a great time to be together. Don't miss one of them. You'll want to be here uh, and be a part of that process. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 1 today, so if you've got your Bible, please turn with me there, and all of our texts will be on the screen as well. Uh, And uh, as well, church, I've got a little homework for you to do uh, this week. That is read chapters 2 through 5 in Revelation, and I know many of you have just said, especially this section, wait, school is out, homework is not a thing, it's summertime, but uh, dig into that Revelation book and discover how the Holy Spirit's going to lead you through this study. It's going to be, again, exciting. You know, as we uh, do the research, if, as you've read about Revelation, no doubt you've discovered there are multiple interpretations of the book of Revelation. There's lots of symbolism, there are lots of images, lots of graphic uh, stuff going on in that book, and we can get pretty sidetracked if we're not careful uh, and get kind of diverted from the overall message of Revelation, which is what I really want to harp on over these next few weeks. It's going to be really important that we keep our focus on Jesus that we keep our focus on what he's calling us to and and not get pulled down some alleyways, so to speak, and just kind of park our car on one image or one verse or one idea. You know, we uh, took the boys to Washington, D.C. in 2010, first time we'd all been, and so we did the normal touristy things in the course of a week. We were on the mall there uh, with the Capitol and the White House and the Washington Monument, went to several museums, but one of those museums that was just phenomenal. We could have probably spent two weeks in this one museum was the Holocaust Museum. And when you walk in that door, it's just kind of this reverent, quiet feeling. You could have spent some time just standing and thinking about the mountain of shoes or the mountain of suitcases or eyeglasses that were there in that place or the recreation of the Warsaw Ghetto. Or maybe someone's particular name or picture as you followed them through that museum and understood what their life was like back in Nazi Germany. It's a a moment where you could have been sidetracked by any number of the things in this museum. And that's one thing we don't want to happen to us in Revelation. We want to, again, focus on what Revelation is about and how it really affects me as a Christian follower. How do I live my life out faithfully in the culture which I find myself in. And that's really what the whole book is about. It's about elevating Jesus and his deity and then what we're called to as people of God. And so we're not going to get caught up in imagery. We're not going to get caught up in in one particular thing or one particular verse, but really focus on the overall message 
of Revelation. And so let's jump right in to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 in our text. It says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, revelation is the English translation of the Greek word apocalypse, which simply means to reveal or uncover. And so Jesus is revealing to John what uh, is going to happen on his return, who he really is, and revealing how the church is called to live and the culture they find themselves in. And it's going to be relevant for us in our journey uh, as well. He goes on to say, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Now, the word soon is used four different times in the, level, in the letter rather, rather of Revelation, uh, and so it's going to be important for us to see that word. Uh, John is revealing some things that will soon take place for the church or is in the process of happening for the church, and the letter was written about 95, 96 A.D., He goes on to say, he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. Now, most scholars believe that it is the Apostle John that is writing this book, uh, and he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, the picture on on the uh, text that we have this morning, that's a picture from the island of Patmos, so John had a really good-looking area, I guess, to hang out in his exile. Uh, But what they realized in his exile, uh, the Roman government finally discovered that killing Christians was not accomplishing what they thought it would. And so they began to do other things with Christians, and one would be exile John to Patmos because they thought John was going to be um, a real problem for the empire at the age of 90. So they sent him to an island all by himself uh, to where on the island he finally receives this vision from God uh, about what the church is called to live. So it's a a letter to the church in his context, in his time period, 95, 96 AD, but it also has ramifications for us in our current culture and where the church is today. Let's continue to read in verse 2. So John faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Now, it's important for us to see four things in verse 3. One, we are going to be blessed in this study. It's already been revealed. It's told, we're told that. One, we're going to be blessed because we're reading the book. Two, because we're listening to the words of the message. And third, when we do what Jesus calls us to do, we're going to be blessed in that process. So three ways that we're going to be blessed by the study in Revelation. The, the last part of verse 3 also says, for the time is near. It kind of goes back to that word soon. And so this idea is John is revealing to the churches in his day and age, 95, 96 A.D., Things that are soon going to happen within the church context and their culture are, are currently happening. Now, why is it difficult to really comprehend what's going on in Revelation? Well, there are a couple of things I want to give you this morning, reason why Revelation is difficult to study, and one is just that idea. It is hard to understand what is happening in Revelation. There's so much symbolism, so much uh, used in imagery that we kind of get lost in that shuffle, if you will. Uh, One of our early church fathers, and a church father is someone who did some extensive writing in the early days of the church to kind of help the church understand their calling and who they need to be. 
a guy by the name of Jerome who lived in about 400 AD. He said there were as many mysteries in the book of Revelation as there are words in the book of Revelation. (laughs) There's a lot of mystery in there, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, Martin Luther in about 1500 AD, he was uh, one of those church renovators, a reorganizer, if you will. He, he had a question. He wondered, why is Revelation even in the New Testament? He wasn't sure exactly what it could uh, hold for the current context of the current church. Because once you start reading through that letter, we begin seeing lots of different things that we are not used to reading or seeing. We, we read about the beast that has seven horns. We read about the red dragon who has seven heads. We see the number 666. We smell that sulfur that is burning or the bottomless pit, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and the list goes on about different things that are contained in this book. And our tendency is to run away from things that we don't really understand, kind of put that at arm's length. We'll just keep that over there, and I'll keep doing my thing over here. We tend to do that with what we don't understand. But secondly, uh, Revelation is easily abused. It's the one book in our Bible that has sparked just tremendous obsession and certainly some weird interpretations along the way. This genre, apocalyptic, really focuses on symbolism and numbers and words that are kind of foreign to us. And people try to interpret the book of Revelation through their own lens, their own current cultural context, their own life moment. And so the trend would be to to read Revelation and try to put names and faces and things that are happening in your current culture with what's going on in Revelation, whether that be world leaders or world economics or celebrities, whatever it might be, you're trying to kind of match that up, if you will. The tendency is to make it like a puzzle that needs to be solved or some code that needs to be cracked, but that is not the point of Revelation. And over these next several weeks is where we're going to park our car on that idea, discovering the real reason for Revelation and how it will affect our own faith walk. Because as you read through Revelation as any book of the Bible, your first job is to read it as if you were a first century Christian. How would the recipients of this letter seen this letter? How would they have interpreted that letter? In 95, 96 AD, under the Roman reign of Emperor Domitian, where persecution was rampant and all over, it was difficult to be a Christian in that time period. Those in the first century would have understood this genre way better than we understand it, this apocalyptic type writing. And John writes in this method because there was great persecution for the church. And so he knows as he sends this letter out to encourage churches along the way in Asia Minor, which is our current day Turkey, the country of Turkey, he sends that letter out and he lists seven churches, but it's the number seven. And again, symbolism is everything. So seven being complete. So he's actually writing to all of the church, not just the seven that are listed, but all of the church. He sends that letter out knowing that it's possible that the courier may be picked up by a Roman guard. And if he reads the letter and it's in plain English or Latin or whatever they speak, that guy's going to be in a lot of trouble. The courier's going to be in trouble. The church is going to be in trouble. John's going to be in trouble. So he writes in such a way that it's difficult to decipher that the church understands what he's talking about, but others that pick up the letter might have trouble along the way. 
And so I kind of thought about an example for us current day. Now, most of us are excited about football season just around the corner, I think. I heard an amen. Thank you. Go Pokes. Anyway, <laughs> it's exciting to know that football's around the corner. Well, to make this illustration, I, I went all the way back through some of the bowl games, and I had to go back all the way to 2013, the Sugar Bowl, when the Gators, Florida Gators, were demolished by the Louisville Cardinals. They won the game. Now, imagine for a moment, see, we, we read that in a headline, Gators destroyed by Cardinals in Sugar Bowl. We read that and we understand what's going on. It makes perfect sense to us. But imagine for a moment that headline gets all the way over to Europe and somehow gets buried in some rubble. And a thousand years from now, some Croatians are digging that up and they discover that headline and they begin to scratch their head. So some alligators were pecked to death by cardinals in maybe a sugarcane field. So that's kind of where we're at right now with understanding how the first century church would have understood what Revelation says and us trying to decipher exactly what's going on in that process. Because again, as we read through Revelation and any book, our first job is to say, how would the first century church have understood what's happening? Because it must have made sense. It had to have made sense to the people that were receiving this letter. For example, when you read about the the horns, that's almost always a correlation to kings. When you see the number 12 or its multiple factors, it's almost always an indication for God's people. When you see the number 10 and its multiplication factors, it's almost always the idea of a completion of time, a time slot, if you will. When you see the number 7, It's the idea of perfection. And the number three, the idea of perfection. I mean, did you know that there are 404 verses in the book of Revelation and over 500 times the Old Testament is referenced? Do you think it would be important to understand a little bit about Israelite history as you read through Revelation? Yes. I mean, so all of this comes into play as we read through this letter knowing that it must have made sense to the first century church. Now, we don't want this study to be scary or or divisive. We don't want us to be worried about the study. What we want to happen is for us to be strengthened in our faith walk. Because at the end of the day, what we absolutely know is that the battle is won and Jesus is victorious. That's right. Jesus is victorious. And because we're found in Jesus Christ, guess what? That means we're victorious as well. Praise God. Jesus has completed everything that needs to happen. And so we rest easy knowing that at the end of the day, at the end of the story, Jesus is king and he still sits on his throne in heaven. And we are called his sons and daughters, the God most high. We also celebrate in that victory And so as we study through Revelation, we're going to gain a couple of blessings along the way. And one is Revelation will prepare us for Jesus' return, how that's going to look. Now, we've already mentioned in verse 1 the word soon, and that is as close to a timetable as we have for when Jesus is going to come back. Maranatha, may it be today. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of paying taxes. I'm tired of waiting around in traffic. I'm tired of standing in line at Walmart. Jesus, just come back. It's time. 
but he says soon, and that's about as specific as we get. If you're a parent, you've, you know this phrase well. You're headed down the road with the kids in the back seat, and you're, you're maybe an hour drive, but two minutes away from the house, what are they asking? How much longer? And you as a parent say, soon. We're going to get there soon. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. They think it's forever, but you as the driver know it's only an hour down the road. We're almost there. And then John continues in verse 7 with some description. He says, look, Jesus comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierce him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the mighty one. I, John, am your brother and partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. Jesus is coming. Now the verb tense in the Greek is very important there. It's a throwback all the way to Moses talking to God in the burning bush back in Exodus when when God says, I am that I am. Jesus basically uses that same language here. But the verb tense in the Greek is an action that is actually moving. Not that I will come, but Jesus says, I am coming. It's movement. The process has already started. He is on his way. However, we must settle with the word soon. Soon. We'll wait on you. Revelation will also reveal to us Jesus more clearly. Most of the time when we study Jesus, we go to the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're connected with him because we're really introduced to Jesus through his humanity. We see miracles and incredible teaching, but we also see him as a human being. There are lots of red words. Jesus speaks those red words in the gospel accounts. But did you know in Revelation, there are also red words. Jesus also speaks in the book of Revelation. But in Revelation, the focus is on Jesus' deity, not his humanity. The idea that Jesus is God. And he reigns supreme. In verse 11 Jesus is having John write down this letter for seven churches, and he lists those. We'll talk briefly about those next week uh, from chapter 2 and chapter 3. But he's wanting John to put together a letter, a vision, if you will, of what he's calling the church to in in the culture that they find themselves in, and it's relevant for us as well. And so Jesus is telling him what to do, but then we pick up our story in verse 12. It says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Now, if you look at the gospel accounts, Jesus often is called the Son of Man, especially in the gospel of Matthew. And he uses the word like. He's like the Son of Man. Church, that's because there is no language to describe what heaven looks like. There is no articulation of the glory of God. It's beyond words. And so you'll notice John over and over uses the word like. He's trying to write down what he's seeing, and he's doing the best he can to translate that for us. But he can't actually write down what it actually is because there's no description. It's indescribable. He goes on to say, 
He was wearing a long robe with a a gold sash across his chest. He's already wearing the kingly attire. His head and his hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. That white hair signifying maturity, dignity, wisdom, someone that has been around for a long time, and his eyes are piercing. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. Jesus is on stable ground. Nothing is going to knock him down. He has a great foundation. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. I don't know if you've experienced this before. You've been in a dark movie theater and kind of exited the door right out into the sun. And you kind of squint and, and kind of try to adjust the eyes. I imagine it's something like that. Jesus is so phenomenally bright It's difficult, if not impossible, to look at him. And the authority for Rome, the symbol would have been their Roman sword, symbolized their power, their might, their military. And Jesus now has a sword coming out of his mouth declaring, no, I am the ultimate authority. No one on earth can or will ever surpass me. And John moves on to verse 17 where he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. John is absolutely terrified of the deic Jesus that he sees before him. Now understand, there was a a term of endearment with Jesus and John. You think all the way back to their ministry together in the Gospels, the night that Jesus was betrayed, they're in the upper room, they're gathered around a table. The text tells us John was sitting beside Jesus and actually in the moment throughout the course of the evening, John actually leaned on or laid on Jesus. They were close friends. They were tight. They looked out for one another. And then after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to those same disciples in locked rooms He appeared to them on the shore as he was cooking some breakfast. The guys had gone out fishing, and now they're on the shore with Jesus after the resurrection, John 21, and he's involved in a conversation with Peter and John. And he's on that that ascension mountain outside of Jerusalem where Jesus looks at his disciples and looks at John and says, now go into all the world and make disciples of every nation and tribe. John is scared. In the moment, he's got these memories of Jesus, but now this is something a little bit different for him. He's falling on his face. And as we journey through this letter, as we go through this uh, together and learn along the way, we need to make sure that we ask the right questions as we move through this. And when is Jesus going to come is not the right question. What will it look like when he comes back is not the right question question. Here is the question that we are going to dig into as we move through this series, and this is it. How do I become a faithful follower of Jesus who is ready for Jesus' return? How do I, as a believer, how do I remain a faithful follower of Jesus who is ready for Jesus to come back and take me home? And so as we wrap our time up here this morning, three blessings I think that we'll gain as followers of Christ from this study. The very first one is a little threatening. 
Because it's the idea that Jesus will warn you. He will warn you. You see, some of us, we look at Jesus or we look at God in in kind of a different light. We see him sometimes as a kind of a grandfather figure who, who kind of looks at his kids and says, you know, kids will be kids. Sometimes we look at God and we see him as that fishing buddy that goes out with us on the lake and it's a great day because Jesus is with us and we caught a lot of fish. It was a good day. Sometimes we see him kind of as a a, a spiritual Mr. Rogers, if you will. But understand in our text what John's just described. This Jesus, his eyes are on fire and he has a sword coming out of his mouth. He wants to warn his church, be faithful, even in chaotic times, even in the culture in which you find yourself. Because what he knew at the time was what we still experience today. The church struggles with worldliness and materialism and compromising some of their values. And we're going to find out through the book of Revelation that is a big deal to Jesus Christ. Now here is another blessing. Be comforted. Because if you are a disciple of Christ, Jesus says, I've got your back. I'm coming back to get you and I will make everything right that's going wrong in your life because you've made a decision to follow me. Be comforted knowing that as a disciple of mine, I am going to be there for you. Because as John writes this letter in 95, 96 AD, there was lots of turmoil. The Jews hated Christians. The pagans hated Christians. The only people you had to lean on was your own church family, the spiritual family you had. And some people were paying the ultimate price for their discipleship and their love of Jesus Christ. Some people were losing their incomes and their jobs. They were having to move away from the town that they grew up in. Some were losing relationships, even familial relationships, because some in the family wanted to believe in Jesus. Others decided to walk away. Some people even lost their life. And Jesus says, be comforted even in those moments, because I'm coming back to get you, and I will bring justice with me. Which reminds us of this final blessing, and that is a call to be ready. Be ready ready for Jesus' return. And it's a message for all of us. And sometimes we miss that message because we're so uh, involved in all the uh, imagery and the different things going on in Revelation. You know, every, every uh, generation has had people who've tried to pinpoint when Jesus is going to come back. We've got people in our own culture right now who are striving to do that. If you go all the way back to 44 AD and count all the times people have declared this is the date, the month, the year, and the day that Jesus is going to come back. That number of people that have done that is 242 times. You know how many of those were successful? Good call, whoever said zero. Zero, because we're still here. Yeah, no one is going to be able to say when Jesus is going to come back. And so our call as disciples is to live our life in such a way that we are ready We want Jesus to come back. Come today. I'm ready. Let's go. Maranatha, God. And Jesus wants us to live in the spirit that says, Jesus, I'm ready for you today, if today is the day. I mean, Jesus himself even said in Luke chapter 12, you must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Those are Jesus' own words. We can't figure out when he's going to come, so don't use Revelation to do that. 
Use it to be pumped and urged forward as you get ready for his return. And so this morning, that, that's the call for all of us. I don't know what you need to do in your own life to prepare for Jesus' return, but it's imminent. He will come back, and he's going to take his church home with him. And so maybe for you in your life this morning, you're thinking about, what do I need to do to prepare for Jesus' return? What are some things in my life that I need to kind of take care of, some housekeeping, if you will? And maybe it's a, a relationship in your life. You know you need to reconcile with someone. You need to make it right. And so maybe today's the day you say, you know what, today I'm going to make that right. I'm going to make that phone call, send that text. I'm going to meet him for coffee, whatever it takes, but I'm going to make this thing right. And maybe for you, it's, it's a decision to say, you know what, I'm tired of being a nominal Christian Nominal means in name only. You come on Sunday morning, you grab a donut, you kick back, you sing a couple of songs, you go home for the week and you're done. No, Jesus calls us to witness every single day of our life who Jesus is to us. We're called to different living than the world around us. So maybe today is the day you say, you know, it's time for me to get involved in ministry. Time for me to start witnessing to those around us. My faith and my love for a risen Savior. Maybe today is the day you say, you know, today's my baptismal day. I've not publicly proclaimed Jesus Christ as my Lord, and I know for a fact there are people in this room who you believe Jesus Christ is Lord, but you have not been baptized yet. Make that decision today. Say, you know, I want to publicly say Jesus Christ is my Lord, and as I come up out of that water, a brand new creation, I've let Jesus make all things new in my life. His Holy Spirit washes over me, and now I begin my life for him, witnessing for him. I don't know where you're at in your life. But as our praise team sings this next song, my hope is that we'll think about that. And I'll invite them to the stage at this time. As we sing this next song, I I want you as a church to think about where are you? How ready are you for Jesus to come back today? Are you ready to go home today? Because that's what Revelation calls us to, be comforted and be ready. As we sing this song too, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And maybe you need some prayer for encouragement and strength as you make that decision. And I encourage you to go seek one of them out. Let them pray for you and over you. Let them lay hands on you. So the Spirit moves in your wise decision-making in that process. Church, this is going to be an exciting time for the next few weeks. I hope you're with me on that. I look forward to seeing what God's going to do in your life and mine as we dig into His Word to discover how we're called to live. Let's stand and sing together.